this podcast, including any related materials, such as show notes, links, and supportive materials, is provided by Metagenics Institute, the educational arm of Metagenics, Inc., for general informational and educational purposes only. This podcast does not constitute medical advice and should not be considered a substitute for discussions between individuals and their healthcare providers. The podcast presenters' views are entirely their own and do not represent the views of Metagenics Institute, Metagenics, or any of their research partners and collaborators, collectively referred to as affiliates. Metagenics Institute and its affiliates do not endorse or recommend any specific healthcare providers, products, or other items or services that may be discussed or mentioned in this podcast. Podcast participants may receive compensation from Metagenics Institute and or its affiliates. Metagenics products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You might know Dr. Florence Comite as a leading force in precision medicine, but did you know that she is an identical twin? It was the vast differences between herself and her twin sister that sparked an insatiable curiosity about the variations in gene expression and what we can do to impact our DNA. What happens is that Mother Nature gives us all these gifts and then Father Time starts stripping them away. (laughs) I started wondering why. And as a clinical researcher in the field of endocrinology, I had data. Dr. Kamate will share that data and how we can use it to slow down the relentless march of Father Time. All that plus the power of precision medicine to predict, detect, mitigate, even reverse disease through epigenetic approaches. Join us on this episode of the Practice Podcast. I'm here today with Dr. Florence Comite, and I'm so excited that you're here with me. I wanna wanna share with people how you got into this work with precision medicine. You've got a really interesting past. It started a long time ago for me. I think it began because I had an epiphany. I was doing a journal club, and I had an appointment in three departments at Yale, and it occurred to me that in our 30s, everything begins to fail. What happens is that Mother Nature gives us all these gifts, and then Father Time starts stripping them away. (laughs) I started wondering why, and as a clinical researcher in the field of endocrinology, I had data to show me that our bodies indeed begin to go south infertility, heart disease, diabetes, weight gain around the middle, all of that is seen very early in life, and yet we wait till disease strikes before we do anything in conventional medicine. Well, and that's the paradigm that I trained in as well, right? You started out at Yale Medical School, and then you stayed on the faculty. You also did this unusual fellowship in endocrinology, but it was also, um, it was quite interdisciplinary. It was. And, you know, I, I hit this point in my 30s, where I had exactly what you're describing, and I felt like conventional medicine failed me. So I'm curious about, like, when was your pivot? Like, when did you start to change the way that you approached your medical care? I think right from the get-go. Actually, in my fellowship, I remember thinking that I came into a room, actually it was a room a lot like this, and I was the only woman, and I was pregnant, very pregnant. 
And at that stage, no man got up to give me a seat because it was a big feminist time. And except my boss, he got up and gave me a seat. And just shortly thereafter, I was reporting on this young woman telling me she had pain around the time of her ovulation. And she was very articulate. And I started telling her point of view. And my colleague said to me, why are you listening to her? And I remember saying out loud, well, she lives in her body, so should, <laughs> shouldn't she know what goes on more Isn't than me? Isn't she the expert of her body? Right. So I realized then that the story was dominant. And then I knew, too, as an endocrinologist and a clinical researcher who loved data, that the data was there for us to drill into. And if we could marry the two, we could understand what was going on a lot better than what I was being shown in medicine, and yet I was trained classically. So that was a difficult shift, and I have a lot of scars to show for it. <laughs> <laughs> I have a few battle wounds myself. Yes. <laughs> so you started to teach yourself a lot of this content. You had this impeccable base of knowledge in traditional medicine, allopathic medicine, but then you started to, you know, I call it turning left. I don't know if you would call it that, but I, you started to kind of expand that knowledge base. So tell me a little bit about you know, what happened after that experience with the woman. I think I was very lucky, and here's why. First of all, I was born an identical twin. So I had facts that fed me. And when you have facts and the literature is wrong, you question that. And when you have leaders and teachers, and there was one dominant one at Yale, who in my very first rotation said, Florence, when I reported on the New England Journal article that morning at Rounds after seeing a patient, he said, Florence, don't believe everything you read. And so as genomics began to evolve in the 90s, I wondered why my identical twin and I weren't alike. And if genomics was going to tell us everything and the data was there and the story was there, could I put it all together in a unique way to actually identify disease before it showed up? And so that was born out of the story, the curiosity, the insatiable curiosity I have, and the knowledge as a clinical researcher that I actually had data and facts that I could look at. And so I began to talk about the uniqueness of the N of one, the approach mm -hmm. where you could look at individuals as the distinct individuals each of us are. Huge, so huge. Yeah. So you were born into a data set. I was, I am. <laughs> that makes a lot right. of sense. And. Um, you know, I want to get into precision medicine because you are a leader in precision medicine. I want to define that for our listeners and get a little bit into the details. But I, I can't resist taking a moment to talk about N of 1. Because when I went through my training, what I was taught in terms of evidential hierarchy is that there's the randomized trials, there's the prospective cohort studies, there's the case control, you know, kind of all lesser in terms of evidence. But I was actually taught by epidemiologists that the N of 1 trial was the highest quality evidence because you're able to personalize, you're able to individualize. And it's very different than having a population where you're looking at you know, one drug versus placebo or one natural ingredient versus placebo. The N of 1 trial is so much more powerful. So can you say something about the N of 1 trial? Like why, why did that become compelling to you? It became compelling to me because we know that the reason you have to do evidence-based medicine, the major big trials, and you cut out the differences between people is because we're all so different. 
And in order to get findings, you need to cut out the differences. So we do these trials in thousands of people only to then apply them to everybody who's different while yes. we're studying the same kind of people. And that's why N of 1 is so powerful because here you're looking at one person using that same person as his or her own control. So you're starting out with the real data, you're doing an intervention, and then you're looking at findings comparing that person before and after. And that is the most powerful way to do it. In my case, having an identical twin who, by the way, born with the exact same genes, correct? But changing those genes in utero, because we implant in different environments, mm -hmm. and then we grow up in, we can't exist in the exact same place doing the exact same thing. And I knew that right from the get-go. We're a natural experiment in time. That's why identical twins aren't 100% identical. I can live on sashimi. My sister won't touch fish. <laughs> and why is that? I, I don't get that. And that's what started me on my own uh, trailblazing. And yet, I remember the patronizing pats on the head I would get from some very serious professors telling me there's no such thing as N of 1. And mm -hmm. I would say, OK, let's wait and see. Yeah. Absolutely. So precision medicine. How do you define it? So precision medicine is a term that I um, have used for a very long time. In fact, I wrote a book, Keep It Up for Men, because it was so little out there, and I've enjoyed your books, the most recent being younger, I guess. And so precision medicine to me is taking data and predicting, detecting, reversing, and owning genes. And so your genes do not have to be your destiny, and you can actually then change the very course of your lifetime to own your health span. So precision medicine to me is marrying the personalization of medicine, which I feel very strongly belongs in every field of medicine, that as physicians we are personal, and we can't be personal and we shouldn't be physicians, but marrying it to data about each human being. And with that data, you can have a powerful impact, as you know well, because I heard your story last night, that the very notion that your mother practically starved herself when she was carrying you had an impact on not only your genes, but actually five generations beyond you. And so by understanding that data and where those influences came from, you have the ability to change the, how your genes express themselves. Your genes do not have to be your destiny, and you can actually then change the very course of your lifetime to own your health span, in effect, living life to the fullest till the very last moment in great health instead of declining into disease. So I don't think of diseases as diseases. I think of them as disorders of aging. And I think we can do far better than just look at the root cause of disease. I think that's a wonderful starting point. But I think we can also look at predicting and detecting way before disease emerges. And we can start actually in utero, but we can certainly start in children. I absolutely love this. I think it's, I feel like you're speaking directly to my soul. Um, and I, I feel like we've got a very similar why. How do we scale this? You have a model that's quite proven with your practice in New York. How do we scale this? I am on the verge of doing just that. I've actually started a company called Quantium and just raised uh, seed financing. Congratulations. Thank you, that was hard, because I've waited years for the timing to be right. And what it is, it's taking the proof of concept and turning it into the neural network, or AI, 
uh, starting with what's called a, um, MVP or a minimally viable product. And I'm planning to put it into test by Coastal. And I want to test employees of self-insured companies direct to them, hope, hoping that it will increase productivity, allow people to own health information at where they can put it into action immediately. They can decide how to eat that's right for them, how to live, how to activity, what is in their future that doesn't necessarily have to go down that health trajectory, and instead they can own their health for life. And so that's what we're building now, and that it will not cut doctors out of the equation. I think doctors are very relevant to what we need to do, but they will be contributing in a different way. They'll be working in sync with data and information that we can't possibly own. This is beyond us. Yes. This is the future. It's so exciting to me. And I, I'm just thrilled that you're on this path as a trailblazer. Any last words that you want to share? Any messages of hope about this transformative future that we have? Yes, I love to give that message. And the message I'd like to give is come join us. Everybody should join us because I think uh, conventional medicine and the way we all know it was fantastic, certainly for the 20th century with antibiotics and the fact that that alone turned the tide, that was first used at Yale, by the way, um, in the 1950s, so it extended life for sure. But once beyond that, we can't use a drug for everything. We have to stop very proactive. We have to identify what is going on and then give people the ability to own that knowledge in a real, in a way that provides wisdom, not just information. And then once provided with that wisdom, change the course of their life, not just for us as physicians, but to work in partnership with each and every person that we come across. And that's what I believe is the the true future of medicine, and I think we'll see it happening, hopefully in our lifetime, in the next 10 or 20 years. I agree with you. Brilliant. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being with us for this episode of The Practice. You'll find extensive show notes, including links and supportive materials over at thepracticepodcast.tv. While you're there, explore other topics and use the Ask and Answer button to ask your burning questions and give your insights about the topic. After all, the future of medicine lies in dialogue, not dogma. Let's transform medicine together by connecting on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You'll find all the links at thepracticepodcast.tv. This podcast, including any related materials such as show notes, links, and supportive materials, is provided by Metagenics Institute, the educational arm of Metagenics, Inc., for general informational and educational purposes only. This podcast does not constitute medical advice and should not be considered a substitute for discussions between individuals and their healthcare providers. This podcast does not create a doctor-patient relationship and should not be considered a substitute for the independent professional judgment of any physician or healthcare professional regarding the appropriate course of action for a particular patient or individual. Metagenics does not make any guarantees regarding the accuracy, completeness, or usefulness of this podcast for any particular purpose. Listeners may use this podcast at their own risk and patients should not disregard or delay seeking advice from their healthcare providers based on the content of this podcast. Participation through the Ask and Answer button is optional, and no participant should feel obligated to provide personal details, including about any diagnosis, symptoms, or other health-related information. 
Neither Metagenics Institute nor any of its affiliates seek this information and it is not necessary to participate in the dialogue regarding this podcast. The podcast presenter's views are entirely their own and do not represent the views of Metagenics Institute, Metagenics, or any of its research partners and collaborators, collectively referred to as affiliates. Metagenics Institute and its affiliates do not endorse or recommend any specific healthcare providers, products, or other items or services that may be discussed or mentioned in this podcast. Podcast participants may receive compensation from Metagenics Institute and or its affiliates. Listening to this podcast does not obligate you to purchase, use, recommend, or prescribe any Metagenics or Metagenics Institute products or services, including their educational materials. Metagenics products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Unless approved by Metagenics Institute, this podcast must be used only for personal, non-commercial purposes. This podcast has no independent economic value and is intended to comply with all applicable laws. It may be rescinded, revoked, or amended at any time without notice. Listeners who are patients should talk to their healthcare providers if they have any questions regarding the content discussed in this podcast. Listeners who are healthcare professionals may obtain more information by visiting metagenicsinstitute.com, calling 888 888- 690-8500 or emailing med ed at metagenicsinstitute.com.